One of my favorite movies is the 1998 classic, You've Got Mail, written by the amazing Nora Ephron and starring Tom Hanks as Joe Fox, a sad multimillionaire who owns a big box store chain and who compares the books in his store to vats of olive oil. And Meg Ryan is Kathleen Kelly, the owner of a tiny children's bookstore who is beautiful but a pill. If you haven't seen the movie, watch it, and then you'll understand all those references. One of the key plot points in You've Got Mail is that Joe, the owner of the big box chain store, bookstore, essentially puts Kathleen Kelly, the owner of the small children's bookstore, out of business. I don't think I've spoiled anything for anyone. Um, but throughout the movie, these two continue to be thrown together more than once by chance or good storytelling. And they have to continue to decide how to navigate this complication in their relationship. About halfway through the movie, there's this wonderful and pivotal scene in which Joe goes to visit Kathleen after her bookstore has had to close, and he goes to seemingly make amends. He begins by telling her that the effects of his store on her store, well, it wasn't personal. It was just business. To which she responds, what's that supposed to mean? I'm sick of that. All that means is that it wasn't personal to you, but it was personal to me. It's personal to a lot of people. And what is so wrong with being personal? Because whatever anything else is, it ought to begin by being personal. Whatever else anything is, it ought to begin by being personal. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Ezekiel 34:11. Know this, the Lord himself is God. He himself has made us and we are his. Psalm 102. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation to come know him. Ephesians 1:17. And the king will answer them. Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And then he will answer, Truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. Matthew 25, 40 and 45. I myself will search. We are his. Come to know him. You did it to me. Each of our readings today smacks of the personal. Beginning with Genesis and running throughout the Old Testament from creation onward through tribes and prophets and loners and kings and wilderness adventurers and messed up family dynamics, what we will see if we are looking is God's repeated offer of a life-giving and liberating love. A love that heals, a love that hopes, a love that perseveres, a love that is bigger than ego, a love that will bring God's fruition, God's dream to us all, for us all to fruition, a love that begats beloved community, a love that is personal. But despite all of God's attempts at this in the Old Testament, many folks had a hard time accepting this love. They had a hard time letting it run free, letting it change the status quo, letting it affect their daily lives. They had a really hard time letting it guide their choices. 
And so many of the people in the Old Testament uh, did what we still do, a lot of us, when we are scared or overwhelmed or feeling stubborn or even lazy. They put God and God's great love in a box, a very impersonal and set-apart box, and they kept it safe by a lot of rules and standards and sometimes a bunch of excuses. And this box kept God and all that wild, liberating, and very equitable love at a controllable and impersonal arm's length. I imagine this approach to God's presence as being like a snow globe. The chaos and the beauty are all safely enclosed. It can be studied and observed and admired, but not exactly experienced. However, God is bigger than our finite snow globe attempts to contain God. And so before you know it, after the Old Testament, well, we get the New Testament, right? Because here comes God in flesh and blood, up close and in person. Patient and cranky and quick and angry and intentional and loving, overwhelmed and sacrificial. The birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus takes God out of the snow globe and moves him right into the neighborhood. And so through Jesus, we are offered the opportunity to understand that God's love and presence is both, love and presence is both very present and very personal for us and for everyone. Next week, we will start our liturgical year over. We will enter into Advent, and we will enter into four weeks of living into the in-between space, basically waiting for the snow globe to be broke open waiting for Mary to give birth, waiting for the world to start again. But today is Christ the King Sunday. It's the last Sunday of our year. It's a Sunday set aside to contemplate what an eternity rooted in Jesus means for us today and for every day for all time. Interestingly, today's gospel reading is the last parable that Matthew records before he begins to talk about the passion narrative, before we begin to make all the steps needed Um, in Jesus' life to get him to the cross and then to his resurrection. So I don't know about you, but if I knew that I was going to have one last chance to preach or teach, I would be highly intentional about what I said. I would try to figure out what the central message of my whole life's work was, and I would try to teach that. In fact, you probably remember a few years ago there was a very popular book called The Last Lecture, right, that kind of took on that very idea. So here today, in our gospel passage, we see Jesus giving his last lecture. And what does he talk about? Does he talk about rules, or buildings, or governments, or bank accounts, or marriages? No, and yes. You see, what Jesus talks about in his last lecture is us. It's us and our choices. It's the things we do, and the things we leave undone. The things we say, and don't say. The people we see and those we don't see. Jesus is talking about how we live as a we, as an us. I believe that what Jesus is trying to tell us through this parable is what Kathleen Kelly was trying to tell Joe Fox and You've Got Mail, that everything should begin by being personal, because it already is. Every choice we make from what we eat to what we buy to how we drive to where we live, it's personal. Maybe not to us, but to someone, because none of our choices or our actions happen in a vacuum. Here's an example for you. 
St. Peter's, like most Episcopal churches right now, has been in a stewardship season, which means that our leadership needs you to know how much you, how much you plan to give over the next year so that they can make the budget. So our vestry can know how many priests we can employ and how often we can turn on the lights and how much money we can give to the Wisdom House and so forth and so on. Now, the way the Episcopal Church at large economy works is this. When you give to St. Peter's, St. Peter's takes a portion of what you have given and it gives that to the Diocese of Arkansas. And then the Diocese of Arkansas, again, decides what they can do with their budget and then they give a portion to the larger Episcopal Church, right? Well, that's who I work for. I, in turn, am paid by the Episcopal Church, and a portion of my income goes to keep my lights on and my kid in college. And then, of course, I give back to St. Peter's. So even though I don't work for St. Peter's, each time you give to St. Peter's, you are helping put Wiley through college. You are helping pay for programs like the Sacred Ground Curriculum, that we're about to start here. And you're helping to resettle countless refugees through our Migration Ministries program. Your giving is personal, not just to you, but to me. And it's personal to the undocumented farm worker in North Carolina who is currently being offered safe health care. And what all this personal business means is that we belong to each other. Look, God does not need our love or our adoration even any more than I need my kid to do um, his homework, right? When I say, I need you to finish this paper, I don't need him to finish the paper to keep on living. I mean, I'd, I'd like him to think that. But really, it's, I want you to do this because it's good for you, and it will help you be whole and healthy. So God does not need my obedience any more than I need my kid to do his paper. But I need my obedience. And you need my obedience. Right? God doesn't need me to obey the command to love my neighbor for God's own benefit. But you need me to obey that commandment. And I need me to obey that commandment. In fact, if you take that commandment to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves and you turn it inside out like a t-shirt... What you see is that loving our neighbors is how we love God. That loving ourselves is how we love God. Because in that, we are following the command to love what God loves. So loving God is how we love ourselves and our neighbors. And God's love comes riddled with mercy, grace, forgiveness, patience, self-control, and all the things we need to love well. These things, loving God and loving our neighbor and loving ourselves, are so completely interlocked which is why our choices matter. I think one of the reasons that Jesus says, when you do this to the least of these, you do this to me, is to remind us that whatever something is, it is personal. It is personal to Jesus, and it is personal to each of us. And it's personal to people we will never know exist. And because every choice is always personal to someone, the ramifications of our choices from wearing face masks during a pandemic, to giving whatever time and talent we can to our church, to how we speak to the customer service person on the phone in another country, to how we care for the very land beneath our feet. They may not always feel personal to us, but they are personal to someone. And I would argue, and talk about this for ages if we had time, 
But the reason that we see such a divided nation laying before us is that we have forgotten that it's all personal and that we belong to each other. If I'm to understand today's gospel passage and looking back at God's work through all time and what God seems to have been doing from the very start, then I do believe that knowing God personally is important. And that in this parable, I believe that Jesus is laying out an essential path to knowing God. That the way that we know God and love God is through our personal relationships with others. Specifically by being in community with the hungry and the sick and the outcast and the lonely and forgotten, the widow and the orphan, the refugee, the neighbor, the abused, the poor. All of us have fit into some of these categories at some point. Going back to You've Got Mail, I would like to assert that Joe Fox, had Joe Fox not gotten to know Kathleen Kelly, he would not have learned that whatever something is, it is almost always personal. And had he not forged ahead and gotten to know Kathleen Kelly personally, he would not have found the great love of his life. In the same way, if we are unwilling to face the truth of our interconnectedness, we run the risk of missing out on experiencing great love ourselves. If we ignore the personal nature of God and the call to remember that everything is personal between each person on this planet, then we, risk, we run the risk of cutting ourselves off from the greatest source of love that there is. Jesus' last lecture reminds us that we each have a choice. We can distance ourselves from others, putting God and God's dream in a snow globe on the shelf, just to be taken down and studied intellectually, or for some sort of warm, fuzzy feeling on holidays. Or, we can choose to live into the liberating and life-giving and sometimes wild and very uncontrollable love of Jesus and use our choices to build the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, here and now, a very personal, beloved community for all.